Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Esther. The Old Testament book of Esther in chapter number 4. We're marching through this wonderful book of Esther and seeing this historical account is recorded in the Word of God that shows God's hand even though it doesn't mention His name. And we can see that God is a God who's concerned for His people so much that He is setting things up in the background. In the book of Esther in chapter number 4, we see the response of what is going on. Remember in Esther chapter 1. We see the queen Vashti. Had been relieved because of disobedience. And in Esther chapter 2. We could see. <coughs> Esther being wrote, uh, brought to power. As God put her there. Esther didn't lift one finger to become queen. It was God that placed her in that position. In Esther chapter 3. We see the villain of the story. Haman show up. And as he has. Compared to Adolf Hitler, he is just as evil. He put official kill the Jew day down in the books. Remember that he saw Mordecai and he hated Mordecai so much that bitterness went in his heart. And as he was getting ready to punish Mordecai, it was told that Mordecai had a whole group of people called Jews who refused to be assimilated into Persian society. That they had their own laws and they had their own ways. And he decided he was not going to just punish Mordecai, but he was going to commit genocide and destroy an entire race of people. So much that they drew lots in what is called Pur. And what they did is they came up with a date that was official, kill the Judae. In addition to help entice that the entire empire, and I want to remind you how big this empire was, that it went all the way from Greece to Russia, down from Egypt all the way to India. This was a huge empire with millions of people in it. And the law was passed that no matter where you were at in the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, that if you were a Jewish person, you were sentenced to die. And to make sure that this threat was carried out, that a part of the law said that if you kill a Jewish person, you get all of their stuff. And so now as people are anticipating it, and it has been well advertised, it's been posted all over, they've had criers giving this decree all throughout the empire, people are beginning to look at their Jewish neighbors. If you can imagine with me, they're looking over the fence and saying, I like their house. You know, if I kill them, I get their house. If you could forgive the translation of modern times, they're looking over the garage and say, I like their car. I'm going to get their car. Maybe they're saying, invite me over for supper. And what they're doing is they're looking at the paintings. They're looking at the pottery. They're looking at the, at the silverware. And they're planning and making preparations that when I kill them, look at all the stuff that I'm getting. And all of this is done in preparation for kill the Judae. All because Haman, who happens to be second in command of the Persian Empire, hated and was bitter 
towards one man. That literally, once again in history, the Jewish people are sentenced to die. This hasn't been the only time, and we'll make many comparisons throughout history to Nazi Germany, to Stalin's Russia, and how they single-handedly wiped out millions of Jews, and how it's happened in history time and time and time again, because Satan hates the Jewish people. Not so much because of the people themselves, but he knows that God has made a promise to the Jewish people. And that if he could kill the Jewish people, then what would happen is that God could not keep his promise. And so we see here that there's a spiritual war waging. And by the way, Esther doesn't realize that there's a spiritual war raging. She just understands that there's a law passed. Most of the Jewish people don't understand it. They just had a law passed and many of them are upset. And now we see in Esther chapter 4 the fallout. Once again, where we left at, out at is that the entire empire has received the news of the official holiday of kill the Jew day. Do you think there's rejoicing in the camps of the Jewish people? Do you think that they're going, yes, this is my favorite holiday ever? What is the fallout? Notice with me in the book of Esther in chapter number 4. The book of Esther in chapter number 4. And let's look starting in verse number 1. Esther chapter 4 and verse 1. Notice what it says. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatrick, one of the king's chamberlains whom he had appointed to attend unto her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hetik went forth to Mordecai into the streets of the city and was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them and to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to go charge her that she should go unto the king to make supplication unto him and make the request before him for her people. And Hatik came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again, Hester came to Hatik and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king in the, into the inner court who is not called. There is one law of his to be put him to death, except to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. 
And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt not escape into the king's house more than the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them to return Mordecai this answer. Go together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will likewise will fast likewise. So I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the theme of the book of Esther? In Esther chapter 4, Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, where it says, For such a time as this. For such a time as this. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach this message, For such a time as this. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God and for the great privilege it is to come to you in prayer, for the great privilege it is to come to you in your spirit as we open up your precious word. And I'm asking that you would give us understanding, that you would give us the importance of who you are and that you do place us here for certain times, for certain seasons. I'm asking that you would help this to be understandable, that not only do we hit the history of this, but we could also apply this to our own lives. I'm asking again that you would do your own work, that the best I know how, I surrender myself once again to you and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. For such a time as this. As we approach this text here, as we follow through and see what it says, the first thing I'd like to show you in chapter 4 is Mordecai's mourning. Mordecai's mourning. Now, once again, they got the paperwork, they got the decree, they got the official notice of kill the Judae. And so Mordecai receives this news and he goes into mourning. Notice again in verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes. When it, the Bible talks about renting his clothes, it's an old-fashioned word that means tear his clothes. It was a sign of public shame and public outcry. So literally, when he heard the news and he understood what was going on and he saw the law for himself, he publicly ripped his clothes as a sign of shame of outcry saying this is horrible this is this is not right it's a public cry again and went out uh, and put on sackcloth with ashes sackcloth is a very woolly uh, substance it's something you'd wear um in those times of public cry it, it is something that is very itchy and very uncomfortable. It's not something that you would wear as an undergarment 
usually it's something you would wear on a special occasion because it would be a public outcry. It was to humble yourself and it was to make sure that you weren't comfortable. And if you were to ever wear something like sackcloth, imagine having a bristly wool as an undergarment and how it would be uncomfortable. And it's to remind us how uncomfortable our sins are. Are to God. How uncomfortable sins are. It's not comfortable. It's nasty and itchy. And ugh. And again he's wearing that as a public outcry. And then it says ashes. Why ashes? Because man is nothing but ashes. We come from the dirt. We are nothing. And so he's wearing this ashes to show that he is nothing. And that the sin is horrendous. And it is a public display. A public outcry. That something is wrong. (laughs) If you could forgive me to take a pause a moment. Something that American culture has taken away from us is tears public tears something that when tragedy hits we're told to put a good face on and and to brave it out and don't be a crybaby now if you lose at tiddlywinks you better not cry but you know what there's some things that should cause us to say this is horrible and this is wrong if you look at the state of our nation it should be enough for us to say this is horrible And this is wrong. But you know what we've done? We have no public outcry. There's nothing. And we just kind of shove it in. You know what? When's the last time we had people weeping at the altar. Getting right with God. And humbling themselves before everyone. No we want to put up a good face. And we've lost this idea of a public outcry. A public shame. When someone. When is the last time someone was so humbled about their sin. That it didn't matter. That they're so broken. And they cried and say Lord I need you. We've lost that brokenness. And it is not for the best. Here Mordecai is in the capital city. As one of the leaders, one of the pillars of the community. And he is outside the gates. And we'll get to that in a second. Ripping his clothing in sackcloth. Wearing ashes. Wailing and mourning. Pick it up in verse number one again. When Mordecai perceived all that was done. Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes. And went out into the midst of the city. And cried with a loud and bitter cry. You know, this is not something that was a private thing. He was publicly mourning and weeping and say, this is wrong. This is something that that's not good. This is a tragedy. This is horrible. And he's crying and saying, no, he's publicly wailing, publicly weeping. Someone says Mordecai is not a man. Oh, listen here. Mordecai was a man's man. He's 83 years old at this time. Actually, he's about 85, 86. And he is a pillar. He's known for wisdom. And he is publicly crying and saying, this is wrong. This is horrible. This is a tragedy. Notice as it goes on in verse 2. And it came even before 
or in the sight of the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So there was a law that saying he couldn't go into the king's gate. This is where the marketplace is. This is where the trading and the gossiping and, and the news is being traveled. He's not allowed into this marketplace. But he's standing outside of it. And he's crying. And as people are passing by. They have to watch this old man. Who is weeping and wailing. And saying this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. It's getting attention. Verse number three. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree went, there was a great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So it wasn't just Mordecai. It was all throughout the entire Persian Empire. By the way, how would your feelings be if you were slated that your people, whatever you classify your people as, was be slated to die? Don't you think you would have some weeping and wailing and the helplessness that would come? They, that was almost all you could do is a public outcry and saying, this is horrible. This is wrong. And people are crying all throughout the empire and mourning because of the official holiday of kill the Judea. Notice as it goes on. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Now, she didn't have all the news. They went in and said, you know, Mordecai is out there and he's making a big scene at the gates. He's crying and he's mourning and he's in sackcloth and ashes. Well, knowing that news, Esther just went out and the grieve was and the queen was exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. So the news came to Esther and said, Mordecai's out there and he's making a big scene. He's in sackcloth and ashes and he's out there and he's making a spectacle of himself. He needed to do something. She goes, okay. So she sends out clothes to him and tells him to stop and, and what's going on. And he didn't receive the clothes. So he says, all right, now Esther's listening. Maybe Esther can do something about this. Which brings me to the second thing, the Jews dilemma. Not only Mordecai's mourning, but the Jews dilemma. Notice if you don't mind in verse number five. Then called Esther for Hatrick, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he appointed to attend unto her, and gave her a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So she goes out and says, I want to know what's causing him to cry and why. What's going on? What is the thing going out there? So Hatrick went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which is before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that happened unto him and the sum of money that Haman promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. So the guy comes out and says, Esther wants to know what's wrong. And Mordecai, let me tell you what's wrong. There's an official kill the Jew day. And in order to get this done, Haman has promised to pay the king to recoup any taxes or anything that's lost because of these people dying. And it's going to come across. There's nothing we could do about it. Haman paid money to make sure this holiday went on. And he says, just so this way you don't know I'm making it up. Here's the actual law. Here's the paper. Go read it for yourself. Verse 8. So he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given to him at Shushan. To destroy them. To show it to Esther. And declare it to, unto her. And to go charge her that she should go into the king. And make supplication unto him. And to make the request before him for her people. And hatred came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So Mordecai says, all right, Esther hasn't heard. So here's the law. Here's what's going on. 
Maybe she could do something about it. Go beg her to go talk to the king. He's the king. Tell him to do something about this. I mean, she's the queen. Go go do something. And so that leads us to Esther's objection. Esther's objection. So she receives the news, verse 10. And Esther spake to Hatrick and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. Now here's what's the message. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except to whom the king shall hold up the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So Esther says, wait a second, wait a second. I know you want me to get involved, but there's a problem. Remember that Xerxes, the king, Artaxerxes, Ahasuerus, is considered to be a god in the Persian Empire. And in order to protect his standing as a god, a god isn't someone you approach. A god summons you. And so... The law is, is that anyone who comes uninvited, unsummoned before the king is to be put to death. That's the law. You come see the king and you wasn't invited, you're going to be put to death. The only exception is that if the king sees you and he wants to hear from you, he'll put out his royal scepter, the golden scepter. And if he holds that out, he gives you permission to come and your life will be spared. And Esther says, the problem is, is he hasn't asked for me for 30 days. Now, they've been married for five years and probably we're assuming things are going well. It just happened to be he's been busy. And for the last 30 days, he hasn't he hasn't called for I haven't asked for. Remember, back then, people had different royal residences. The king had where he lived. The queen had where she lived. And and that's just how things were. It's different from today, but that's how it was. And she goes, he hasn't asked to see me in 30 days. I meant. I could wait for an appointment, but I don't know when that's going to be. She goes, I just can't walk into there because I don't want to die. The law says it doesn't matter who you are. Even though I'm the queen, I still can't approach him because he's considered a god. And if I do that, they'll kill me. So I can wait for my turn and my appointment, but who knows when it's going to be. So she sends this message to Mordecai and we see Esther's objection. It talks about... <laughs> so we started with Mordecai's morning, which brought us to the Jews dilemma. And then Mordecai said, please, Esther, go talk to him. He's your husband. He's the king. Tell him to do something. And Esther says, I'd love to, but I haven't seen him in a while and I can't approach him myself. So Mordecai gets back with an answer and we see Mordecai's admonishment. Mordecai's admonishment. Notice with me in verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded, to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than the Jews. So here's the beginning of his answer. He says, listen here, Esther. I want to remind you that you're a Jew too. And just because you're the queen doesn't mean you'll be saved from this law. This law says that any Jewish person will die. And someone's going to find out that you're a Jewish person. And guess what? You're going to be sentenced to death. So this law affects you just as well as it affects me. Verse 14. For if thou altogether hold thy peace. That means if you don't say anything at this time. Then shall enlargement and deliverance to the Jews 
uh, uh, deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Now, listen to Mordecai's faith. He knows that God has made a promise to the Jewish people. And he knows that God is going to keep his promise. He says, hey, if you don't do anything, that's fine. God will keep his promise some way or another. God will get his will accomplished. God will make sure that someone will deliver the Jews. However, if you keep silent, guess what? But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. He says, if you choose not to talk, that's fine. God will keep his promise some way or another. But he says, if you don't, you're going to die. And as well as your family, I'm going to die. Other people, they're going to die. God will save the Jewish people, but there's no saving you. He says, but think about this, Esther. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He says, you know, Esther, you didn't do anything to become queen. God made you queen. And so because of that, how do you know that God didn't put you in this position So that you could be the instrument used to save the Jewish people. You see, God is in charge. And God's going to get his will accomplished some way or another. But God would like to use you. By the way, when I'm saying that, I'm not talking to Esther. I'm talking to you. God wants to use you. You know, it is no accident that you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is no accident that you're in this service at this time. It is no accident the things that brought you to this place at this time. God has a purpose and he has a plan. You say, I don't understand all of it. Neither do I. But God does. And he has a plan for you. He has something in mind that you may not even know that you're putting this position for. That you're being trained, you're being uh, prepped, you're putting in a position that you could be used some way for such a time as this. God wants to use you as an instrument. And he knows how to personalize his instruments. He knows how to mold it and to make it to be the right tool for the job for the right time. And you God is planning to use. And he's preparing you for such a time as this. You never know how God is going to use you or the impact you may have. But God does. And he has a plan. It's not by accident. God has a design. And he has a will. Now you could say, well listen here. I don't want to do God's will. Well God will still get his will accomplished. But he'd rather use you as an instrument. You say, well, I don't care. God could do it without me. And he can, but he'd rather use you. You're not going to stop God's will from getting accomplished. Now, there's consequences for it. You see, Esther had to be faced with the consequences. That either she be used and she saves her family, or God will rise up a deliverer from somewhere else. And the consequences is that her family and herself will perish. You know, there's consequences for you obeying the Lord and there's consequences for you disobeying the Lord. Do you know that your kids can be affected? Your grandkids could be affected. Your great grandkids could be affected by the decisions you make now and the decisions you made in the past. Both for the good and for the bad. That God has a plan and we can trust him. But he has you here for a reason for such a time as this. 
God knows what he's doing and he knows how to put people in the right place at the right time. So after this admonishment, we see that Esther comes back with an answer. Verse 15, then Esther bade them to return Mordecai this answer. Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. So I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So Esther said this, all right. Well, if I'm going to obey the Lord, I know I can't do it on my own. This is something beyond me. I can't make the king change his mind. I can't make the king not kill me when I show up unbidden. But one thing we could do is that we could trust God. And he says, because we need to get a hold of God, this is something serious. I want you to gather all the Jewish people you can, all the believers you can, and I want them to fast night and day. And says, by the way, me and my girls, we're going to fast night and day for three days. And we're going to beg that God does something. Will you do that? And Mordecai said, absolutely. You see, even though we understand that God has this for a time and place, we recognize that even though God wants to use us as instruments, that's all we are as instruments. It has to be God that does the work. And you know what we have left out of our arsenal? We've left out this principle of fasting. That we can pray and we can say our little prayers and we can do our little rituals. But we've lost the seriousness of fasting. May I show you what Jesus says about fasting? Turn with me to the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 9. The gospel record of Mark in chapter number 9. And we can see what Jesus himself says about this principle of fasting. Mark in chapter number 9. Now in Mark 9, Jesus takes his inner disciples, inner circles of James, John, and Peter. And they go to the Mount Transfiguration where they see Jesus turn inside out. And this is an amazing time and they're all going, wow. Well, they get down off the mountain. And as they begin to walk down the mountain, they see that there's a big crowd gathered around. And their disciples are surrounded by a crowd. And this crowd is not a happy crowd. Notice with me in the gospel record of Mark in chapter 19. And let's pick it up in verse number 14. Mark 19 or Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 and verse number 14. Notice what it says. And he came to his disciples and he, that's Jesus, saw a great multitude around them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him. So here's the the scene. So Jesus is coming down off the mountain. As they come down, they see this huge group of people. And it's not a friendly crowd. The disciples are surrounded by people. And they had the scribes who are questioning them. And it is not good questions. I thought you were miracle workers. I thought you could do something. How come it didn't work? Your God's not true. And when the multitude saw Jesus... They ran to him. They didn't waltz. They didn't meander. They ran to him and said, Jesus, Jesus, we need you. We need you. Your disciples are in trouble. (laughs) Okay. 
Verse number 16. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth him with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. Now at this time, the disciples have already been sent two by two, and they've already been casting demons out and healing the sick. And so what had happened is that this man had come up to his disciples and he said, my son's possessed with a demon. He has something inside and he's been torn about, gnashed about, and this demon makes him fall down and hurt himself. And please, this is my son. Can you do something with him? And so this man had brought him to the disciples and maybe it was Andrew, maybe it was um, Simeon or maybe it was someone, but they said, all right, guys, I got this. I got this clear up aside. And uh, let me borrow someone here. Mr. Stanley, come here. All right. And so they bring the young man to him. And the disciples said, all right, I got this, guys. Okay, quiet on the set. I got this. He says, you ready? We're going to get this demon out of you. Are you ready? Be ye healed. And nothing happened. And the crowd starts murmuring and starts talking. And and he says, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I just didn't do it right. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Ready? You ready? This is going to work this time. Be ye healed. And nothing. And so the other disciples, they said, oh, man, <laughs> sit aside. Let me show you how it's done. All right. I got it now. Amateur hour's over. Ready? Be ye healed. Now, with this not happening... The crowd starts murmuring and talking. The scribes who are already looking for a reason to discredit Jesus, they start asking questions. How come it's not working? Where's your God at now? Where's your powers at now? See, you're nothing. You're nothing but frauds. We have proved it. You are not miracle workers. It doesn't work. And so maybe they all get their chance. You know, here's a... Nine disciples and they're all taking their turn. That poor kid sitting there with a demon possessed and probably foaming at the mouth. And everyone slapping him on the head or touching him or doing everything. And it's not working. You imagine being the father of the child. Your, your, your son has already been foaming at the mouth. Already been hurting himself. Already been tearing himself. Already been cutting himself. Already doing these things. And now you got these disciples who are slapping him on the forehead or whatever they're doing at that time. And the whole crowd is laughing. The whole crowd is jeering. People are making fun of him. That poor father. He's been asked to trust him. Trust, trust, trust. And it's not working. Thank you. And so what happens in verse 19, and he, Jesus, answered him, the man, the father, and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowing, foaming. So he says, bring me the kid. And the kid gets up here, and as the demon gets closer to Jesus, he says he's going to show off. And so the kid falls down and starts wallowing, foaming all over, making a big scene. That poor father is watching his son collapse in front of him. 
And notice what Jesus asked him in verse 21. And he asked his father, how long ago since this child came to or since this came unto him. And he said of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire. This poor father. Can you imagine your, your kid purposely jumping into a fire. And dancing around in it. Getting burned and laughing. Can you imagine. And into the waters. Man he had to keep a leash on his son. Because his son would like. Forgive the term. But go to the swimming pool. And just kind of look up. Glub glub glub. And they'd have to go rescue him. And like come on. And to destroy them. But if thou canst do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him. If thou canst believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. Now can you imagine. Forgive the term. The gall of Jesus. The disciples said trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And you know what Jesus said. Trust me. Trust me. Just believe. If only you could believe. It could work. You see it's not how much belief you have. It's the object that you're trusting in that works. And it is Jesus Christ. But notice as it goes on and Jesus heals him, verse 24. And straightway the father of the child, uh, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. By the way, that's faith. Lord, I believe you can. I hope. Lord, I believe. I think. That's what faith is. You're putting the best you can, but you're trusting God. It's not by sight, it's by faith. Verse 25, and Jesus saw the people come running together. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried out and rent him sore. And it came out of him such as one that was dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. Now again, that poor father, Jesus said, come out of him. And all of a sudden, that kid just went limp and probably paled. And the people said, he died. He's dead. Jesus just killed him. Now, imagine this crowd now. They've been laughing at the disciples. Now Jesus has killed this kid. That poor father. But notice this. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he came into this house, his disciples came to him privately. Why could we not cast him out? Now, after the crowd dispersed, the disciples, can you imagine them kind of sheepishly coming? Jesus, how come it didn't work for us? Why? I mean, we've done it before. Why didn't it work this time? You know, part of the thing is that we trust in our own strength. We get so used to being used of God that we rely on our own power more and more and more. Notice what Jesus answered to them. Verse 29, and he said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. You know, there's some big things in our life that need to be answered. And you know why they're not being answered? Because we've left out fasting. Maybe we have a miracle that needs to be done in the life of someone. Have you fasted? You said, I've tried everything. Did you fast? No, but I've tried everything. You know, we leave fasting out and we lose the power of God. Remember, we've already explained about fasting that God is not interested in watching you hurt yourself and starving yourself. He's not pleased because you decided to afflict yourself. Fasting is for us to realize I need Jesus. That when you fast, the word fast means to abstain from food. You know what starts happening after a while? Your body gets weak. You start to get hunger pains. You start to feel weak. 
And you know what that tells you? How weak and frail you truly are. I need Jesus. God doesn't see, whoa, look, he's really serious. My better answer is prayer. No, it's for us to realize Jesus is the only answer. It is not my strength, not my power. The only way it's going to get done is by Jesus. You think about your family that you have. That one family member who's in such trouble. And seems so far away and just doesn't seem like they're going to change. Have you fasted and prayed for him? You said, I've tried everything else. This come, come, cometh by nothing but prayer and fasting. What about your financial problem? You say, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. It's getting really bad. Have you tried to pray and fast? What about that physical situation you're going through? You say, it just doesn't seem like it's getting better. Have you tried to pray and fast? You know, one of the things we're good at in the last recent months is complaining about how bad our nation is. Have you tried to pray and fast about it yet? These things cometh by nothing but prayer and fasting. Esther realized that she had no might of her own. She had no say. She was risking her own life by going to the king. The only way that it was going to be done is if God worked. And because she knew her life was on the line, she goes, get everyone to fast and pray for me. Please, we need God to work. You see, they realized it wasn't going to happen by human hands. It had to be the Lord. Once again, we're not serious with our prayers sometimes. We could talk and live it up to God. But when's the last time you've been so burdened, so compassionate that someone would get saved, that someone would get right, that God would work in your circumstance, that God would spare our nation, that you said, I'm going to get serious about this and I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. And remember, fasting doesn't pull God's heartstrings. It's to us to realize we need Jesus and he's our only hope. So when's the last time you really got serious with the Lord in your prayer life, that you really said, God, it has to be you. It has to be you. You have to work. The only way that this situation is going to change is if we finally get serious and we let God be God and get us out of the way and pray and fast. Remember, God wants to use us as instruments. Wouldn't it be amazing if God used you as an instrument to bring revival in our nation? You know, when I preach at retirement homes, one of the things I tell them is that I do believe that a good group of Christian people in a retirement home, because they have the time to pray, and if they get motivated to pray, revival might come as a direct answer from those good, sweet folks. Wouldn't it be amazing if revival came became because of your prayers? Wouldn't it be amazing that if our country got fixed because of your prayers? Wouldn't it be amazing with some of those needs in your life that got fixed because you decided you were going to humble yourself and say, I'm just going to do what the Bible said. I'm just going to get serious with God and I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. Fasting is something we've lost. And it's no wonder we've lost the power of God in our churches. Because we are missing out on something God gave us access to. We, he gave us access to him. Through prayer. 
But even our prayers are so weak and flabby because we're still dependent on ourselves and not God. I don't know what the situation is in your life that when I talk about it flashes in your mind. Maybe you have a person associated with it. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a need. What is it going to take for you to finally get serious enough with God to say, you know what? I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray because God is the only way this is going to get taken care of. That I'm tired of trying to get it fixed in my own strength. It has to be God and it has to be God alone. We need God's power. We need what only God can do. But it will happen when we finally get out of the way and say, I need Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.